Welcome to episode 19 of the Analytically Speaking podcast series. This episode will discuss the new developments in atomic spectroscopy, particularly those related to new advances in the field of space research. I'm Jerry Workman, the Senior Technical Editor of Spectroscopy and your podcast host. Thanks to our listeners for joining us for a deeper look into all things measured with light. Spectroscopy is the study of the interaction of electromagnetic radiation, commonly referred to as light, with matter. In this episode of our Analytically Speaking podcast, we have invited Dr. Andreas Riedo to discuss recent breakthroughs and advances in atomic spectroscopy, specifically regarding the development of fundamental measurement methodologies using laser ablation and laser ablation desorption ionization mass spectrometry, commonly known as LIMS, for the chemical analysis of complex solid materials and organic molecules related to space research and astrobiology. Dr. Riedo is a scientist at the Physics Institute Space Research and Planetary Sciences at the University of Bern in Switzerland. He received his PhD in physics in 2014 and has been actively involved in the field of space research and planetary exploration since 2010. His work has included the design, development, and qualification of space-capable analytical instrumentation. His interests and work in the field of laser-based mass spectrometry began during his PhD studies with Professor Peter Wirtz at the Physics Institute in the Division of Space Research and Planetary Sciences at the University of Bern. As a graduate student, Riedo optimized an existing limb system intended for in-situ space research. The instrument has been enhanced to perform analysis for quantitative element composition, isotope abundances, depth profiling, and two- and three-dimensional chemical imaging and analysis. In recent years, Riedo developed the origin instrument consisting of the same mass analyzer used in his previous studies, but adapted for organic molecule detection. More information and links about Dr. Riedo and his research can be found within our podcast posting links. Well, Andreas, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Terry, for the invitation. I'm very honored uh, to participate in this interview. Thanks a lot. Well, it's our pleasure. Andreas, can you tell us about your academic background and how you became interested in using miniaturized LIMS or LMS for the chemical analysis of complex samples? Yes, I mean, that actually goes back, as you just mentioned, Jerry, to my PhD studies, where I got the first time in contact with laser system and mass spectrometry. At the very beginning, very honestly, I was a bit scared by all these laser system plays on an optic tables. There were so many optics and I did not know how about to tune such systems. One thing I remember very well from the beginning, that was when I had to guide the laser beam to an autocorrelator. This is actually an easy thing. But in front of my on-site supervisor at that time and a technician of the laser system company, I was that nervous and it took me ages to do that. That's now already 13 years ago. Imagine I still remember that. Of course, this is somehow normal at the beginning of a PhD. It was a new scientific field for me. But soon after the start, I started to play around with all the tools and, and, and other methods I had in the lab. And of course, I break many things. But with that playing around with a space prototype mass spectrometer coupled to different laser systems and optics, I really started to like this field of science really a lot. 
Moreover, at the Space Research and Planetary Science Group, as you just mentioned, of the University of Bern, I had so many opportunities. Since the Apollo 11 mission, uh, where the group provided its solar wind experiment, the group is highly involved in space exploration missions. And since then, the group built up various unique facilities in the world. So it was really a great time. But one key point in my academic career was the acceptance of one of my proposals that allowed me to dive in in the field of astrobiology. That's my uh, core scientific field at the moment with Professor Pascal Ehrenfreund at the Leiden University in the Netherlands. This project allowed me to apply all my knowledge in laser ablation utilization mass spectrometry to this field to find new procedures, how to find signatures of life uh, with new technologies, with LIMS, for instance, during a space exploration mission in situ. That was the starting point of building the system for life detection, the origin instrument. Moreover, she introduced me to her very strong international network. And today I'm participating in many science projects with many colleagues from that network, and of course, with her as well. Well, that's an excellent example of collaboration and networking. And uh, can you tell us more about the development of new miniaturized hardware and software tools for this type of analysis and how they differ from existing technologies? Of course, this is actually a, a very big challenge in developing such hardware for space exploration missions because all the resources we have are highly, highly limited on spacecraft or, or lander or lander module. In the lab, you have in comparison unlimited power, you have space, and it does not matter how heavy your tool is or instrument is. In space missions, all these parameters are highly limited. As an example, you typically have tens of what only for the operation of a mass spectrometric system in space, including its electronics. The weight is limited to several kilograms only, and the data download can be limited to a few megabytes only. So as you see, all these parameters are very limited, which makes the design and operation of such a system in space after its production very, very complicated. As a result, you cannot simply miniaturize an existing lab system for a scientific mission. You need to design it from scratch, which makes its development complicated. Another complication is the selection of hardware components, for instance, such as electronics. You cannot simply order an analog to digital converter component for the operation of your readout electronics that is required for recording mass spectra. No, it needs to be space graded. That allows its usage over full mission length that may be in the order of tens of years. Moreover, the operations are limited, the lead times are very long, and the components are very costly. All that makes it very different in comparison to lab instruments and you know, lab developments uh, for lab applications. Well, that was a clear uh, explanation. Thank you. Uh, your research has focused on detecting and identifying analytes in complex sample types and in a fully automated manner. What are the greatest challenges you've faced in your work? Yeah, that's really a good question. And I think it's the interdisciplinarity aspect of this research. You need really various scientific and engineering knowledge to master such a topic. So you cannot handle that alone, simply going to the lab and, and you do your own measurement. You are dependent on a group of experts ranging from the biochemist to the mechanical engineer. All this is, is required in that topic or, or, or case in scientific exploration. But that makes this as well very interesting. Moreover, many tests and qualification activities need to be mastered in the lab and facilities before flying such a space station. That's another uh, complication. And they need to survive the harsh rocket launch, for instance, the cold temperatures in space, the radiation, among many other not very cool parameters. So it might be that you work 10 years on a project and just before the landing of your system on, let's say, Mars, something goes wrong with the lander and that's it with your instrument. 
and that's a final final proclamation if it it is is in land <laughs> um in the planetary science journal you wrote an article entitled toward detecting polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons on planetary objects with origin and that's reference one in our podcast notes can you explain how PAHs and amino acids, lipids, and nucleobases might be linked to the emergence of life and why studying them on planetary surfaces is crucial? Yes, I, I, I can do that. And here I need to go one step back. Uh, there are six groups of most promising biosignatures in also biology and space science. And organic molecules related to life as we know it from Earth are among them one of the most promise, prominent groups. And amino acids, nucleobases, and lipids, as you know, are building blocks of life as we know it from Earth. Therefore, uh, it is for us of utmost importance to show with our instrument that we can measure them with a space prototype system. I mean, that's our business card if we want to approach uh, space agencies. The PHs represent more complex molecules uh, in combination to lipids or amino acids. Uh, but their demonstration that we can still measure them with our system shows the versatility of our system in case we do have such molecules in front of our mass spec on a, sub, on a surface or subsurface material in a planetary body. So all this is important to show uh, uh, to the society that we can do that. Well, moving along, uh, what is the instrument with the acronym ORIGIN, what exactly is that? And what sets ORIGIN apart from other instruments and space missions when it comes to detecting amino acids, lipids, and other important molecules? Mm. So ORIGIN, uh, in, in a nutshell, is a laser ablation immunization mass spectrometric system operated in desorption mode. So that means we operate the laser system at reduced laser pulse energies. And ORIGIN, I mean, uh, has it's an acronym, of course, as you mentioned, and stays for Organic Scattering Instrument. It was a bit unfortunate when we selected that name, because if you Google origin, you know, <laughs> you get many, many listings. But it's the Organic Scattering uh, Instrument. And in short, uh, it, it's the, simplicity, uh, the simplicity and robustness that makes origin a very attractive system for future space missions devoted to life detection. In origin, we operate a sensitive and compact mass analyzer the size of a half a liter pep bottle coupled to a nanosecond pulse laser system operated at UV wavelength, so typically 266 nanometers. The operation of such a laser system allows the desorption in a gentle manner, so it means that we can lift up the molecules from a surface, uh, surface without severe fragmentation, if present at all. For amino acids, we see maybe two, three major fragments, which allows their identification. And in lipids analyzed so far in one of the studies uh, we did recently, we do even see only the parapics. This is exceptional for us because we never thought about, about this uh, powerful or the capability of such a system. The advantages as well, the limited sample process, uh, processing we are doing, which was so far one of the biggest challenges when we applied uh, pyrolysis GCMS technique. That was so far uh, the most applied uh, system in space exploration missions devoted to life detection. And as you may know, during the pyrolysis step, uh, molecules are broken severely in the presence of, for instance, salts, perchlorates. And we do not have that with origins because we simply apply a laser pulse uh, to a surface where we desorb the molecule. So we lift up the molecule from the surface, surface without a severe fragmentation or we don't need any oven, so we have reduced power consumption with our system. Wow. 
The abstract of this paper mentions a three sigma detection limit in the femtomole per square millimeter range. How significant is this sensitivity for space missions? Yes, I'm, I'm actually very proud of this number, uh, which still can be improved by how we operate, for instance, the detector system or how many surface positions we analyze of an analyte. But uh, in relation to missions, uh, we are a minimum of one order of magnitude already now more sensitive than a comparable system that is currently on ExoMars, the, the lander, the spacecraft that should be launched uh, hopefully end of 2020. We are very much delayed with, with, with that mission, as you may know. We meet already now, for instance, or as well, the required detection limit for a system planned for the Europa lander or the Orbi lander. So we will talk later about that to the icy moons Europa and Enceladus, respectively. I mean, these are great news for us. I mean, we never thought about that when we started with the first study of an amino acids. So we have a great detection limit here. That, that's really, really impressive. And to follow up on that, how was the potential chemical alteration of amino acids and lipids during measurement addressed to ensure data reliability? Mm, that's a very good question. And, and I thought you were asking about that because in our uh, uh, measurement technique, the chemical alteration is somehow limited in comparison to all the other uh, technology, uh, technologies we apply on the spacecraft. Uh, because we have only a laser pulse that is interacting with the molecules in a, in a very soft manner. Uh, it's very much uh, important to mention here that we have only a few microtules only per pulse uh, at the surface, uh, which is spread over about 30 micron or a 30 micron spot size on the analyte, resulting in the very low megawatt per square centimeter irradiance. So very low. This is the reason why we do not see severe fragmentation of the molecules, if present at all, for instance, for, for lipids. Another aspect is the statistics we have, how we measure uh, during a campaign. So we do a spot-wise analysis uh, of the analyte and, and we raster over 40 positions. And on each position, we apply about 100 laser shots. And for each of the laser shots, we record a full mass spectrum. And at the end, for one campaign or for one analyte, we record about 4,000 spectra per measurement campaign. This statistical approach makes our measurement procedure very robust because we do not make a single laser shot analysis. So that definitely helps in, in that measurement technique. Well, again, now, how can the origin instrument, along with previous findings, contribute to our understanding of life's potential presence on celestial bodies like the icy moons of Jupiter or Saturn? Yeah, here I would like to go back uh, to when we started so far. I mean, since the first Viking missions on Mars in the uh, 1970s already, we tried hard, uh, or humankind tried hard, and we are still doing to find signatures of life on Mars. Mars uh, is one of the most promising objects uh, for, for, for the people listening here in, in our solar system that still might harbor traces of life because of its history. Mars was in the habitable zone, had mild conditions and had liquid water, all you need to develop and sustain life. But regarding the icy moons, it is the previous detection by, by two space exploration missions of liquid water or oceans underneath the kilometer uh, thick ice crust that made these icy moons as well very promising candidates in our solar system because we have liquid life. So if life developed in these oceans and, it, and the life is protected by the ice crust uh, from the very harsh environment on top of the surface, that would be a milestone uh, in space exploration and astrobiology.
In the journal Scientific Reports, you authored a paper titled Origin, a Novel and Compact Laser Desorption Mass Spectrometry System for Sensitive In-Situ Detection of Amino Acids on Extraterrestrial Surfaces. This is reference two in our podcast notes. Can you explain why the detection of amino acids on ocean worlds like Europa and Enceladus is crucial for the search for biosignatures and the potential for life beyond Earth? That's a very good question, Jerry. And as discussed earlier, but just briefly, amino acids are, are important building blocks of life as we know it and belong to the most promising group of biosignatures in space, science, and astrobiology. So we have uh, to limit a bit the signatures we want to find in the space exploration missions. That's why we have this very important group. So it's detection, and hopefully we would see even uh, a specific amino acid pattern, so not only just one, would be highly indicative of the presence of life. Of course, uh, complementary instrumentation, uh, instrumentation need to be need to provide positive detection as well to 100% confirm the presence of life. So we cannot simply have one shot and then we say, oh, we found life. No, typically in space exploration missions, you have a set of instruments that point to the same uh, conclusive answer. So this is the very normal approach we have in space exploration. Now, finding such signatures on these objects uh, within a really harsh environment, I mean, here we are talking the Saturn and Jupiter environment, that would extend our knowledge about life in general dramatically. It could develop under such harsh conditions. I mean, so far we thought to find life on Mars because Mars was in the past, you know, had very mild conditions as mentioned before. So this would be an extreme case where we could find life. Well, Andreas, your research highlights the limitations of existing space exploration instruments. Could you give us a little more explanation on how Origin overcomes these limitations and improves sensitivity and specificity for, for example, for amino acid detection? It's, it's the method how we measure biomolecules in general with our LIMS technology. So in previous missions, uh, typically pyrolysis GCMS measurement technique was, was applied for detection of amino acids. Because this was somehow the normal approach, because GCMS technology is somehow the state of the art in the labs still today for, for such analysis. However, in the presence, for example, of perchlorates or cells in general, the amino acid structures are broken. Uh, during the pyrolysis step and therefore not detectable anymore by the detector system. But as said, I mean, don't get me wrong here on that. I mean, in laboratory research, these kind of systems are still the gold standard. Uh, there is no way around to uh, not to use these systems in the lab. But in our case, we gently dissolve the amino acids from a surface, which is highly advantaged in comparison to GCMS. Because in case of amino acids, we do observe a very limited but unique fragment pattern for, for, for the amino acids, which allows us for their identification, for instance. So we do have as well our limitations, of course. I mean, not everything is, is, is perfect with the technology we apply. And for I would like to give you an example, and it's a chirality, the L over D, for instance, which we cannot differentiate to date because, you know, uh, um, the structures or the molecule from element point of view, it's the same. So we cannot differentiate in that. Well, to continue on with the detection limit and sensitivity discussion, Andreas, as you mentioned, a detection limit of a few femtomoles per square millimeter with a potential for sub-femtomole sensitivity. How does the level of sensitivity really impact the ability to search for life in space? So generally in space exploration, there is 
let's say, the continuous need for more sensitive instrumentation. So with more accurate results, we can, for instance, do more accurate simulations with the modeling tools we have and develop. And that allows us actually to have a better or more detailed view on the scientific question. So that's the normal generic, general approach we have in space exploration. Now, regarding the detection of life, with all the missions we've flown so far to, let's say, Mars, we know that biosignatures are abundant at the trace level abundances or levels, right? And they are not homogeneously distributed. Uh, so we have to find the need in the high stack. And if we are there at the right position, we need to have a very sensitive instrument. So that's what we learned with all the missions so far we had in space exploration. But in comparison to the past, we do have today more sophisticated and more sensitive instrumentation because we do have more capabilities in designing and producing such instruments. I mean, this is, was simply not possible in the past. So with the incre increased sensitivity of, let's say, our origin system, we have an increased or a significantly increased probability in finding life if life has ever developed beyond Earth. Well, one unique feature mentioned is that the origin is not affected by chemical alterations through surface minerals and salts. Can you explain how this resistance to chemical interference was really achieved with origin and its yeah, significance? Uh, yeah. yeah. Yes, of course, Jerry. I mean, we are, uh, uh, there is a lot of discussion about that. And that goes back to the GCMS system I mentioned before. And that goes actually back to one of the drawbacks we have with GCMS, because in the presence of perchlorates or in general salts, we do see a severe effect of them uh, on the instrument capabilities during the pyrolysis step, because we simply break the molecule structure and therefore we cannot measure them afterwards. So you can even uh, have a very sensitive GCMS system, but already during the pyrolysis step, uh, we damage the molecule. Uh, so latest news on that is only if we add derivatization agents uh, uh, to the whole process, uh, we might support the structures. Uh, that brings back the GCMS system as well. But of course, uh, with expense of uh, having a more complex system, and this is typically what you want to avoid in space exploration missions. So you want to have a simple uh, and a robust system. And in our application using Origin, uh, we would simply see a peak of for sodium or potassium. And that's it. It might be that a positively charged sodium uh, finds negatively charged other species, resulting in a neutral one, uh, which cannot be detected with our instrument because we let only positively charged species in our system. And that's it. So we do not have this, this alteration or chemical drawbacks as, as other instruments. Well, your research mentions the Europa Landa, lander has a potential application for origin. Could you tell us more about that, provide insight into how this instrument might be used on that type of a mission and what it could reveal about Europa's potential habitability? Mm -hmm. So we follow the concept of an Europa lander mission to the icy moon Europa very closely. So Kevin Hand and colleagues presented in their Europa lander report, which is a very nice uh, a document, the needs for, for sensitive instruments to find signals of life, of course. And instruments for organic molecules detection are part of it. That was somehow clear from the study. And we do meet already now the request detection sensitivities for, let's say, amino acids. So we would be an ideal candidate for such emissions because we demonstrated now with a number of papers that we can do that. And moreover, NASA plans in their mission in providing a sample delivery system forwarding, for instance, the ice sample material to the instruments according to their needs. In our case, we would request a liquid sample, which is delivered to a clean sample surface in front of our Mars analyzer. The water can evaporate and the leftover biofilm can be investigated with our origin system. 
This is exactly what we do in our lab with our measurements. So therefore, we would be a very suitable candidate for such emissions because we simply do in the mission what we are doing in the lab. So we don't have to adopt something here. And from a scientific point of view, a positive detection, of course, would be dramatic. It would be the first time in finding sections of life. And this on an icy body in our solar system in an ocean underneath a kilometer thick ice crust. Well, that's that's fascinating, really. Um, you did, but you also published a paper in the Planetary Science Journal entitled "Detecting Lipids on Planetary Surfaces with Laser Desorption Ionization Mass Spectrometry," and that's reference three in our podcast notes. In that paper, you discuss the search for lipids. Why are lipids important as biosignatures in the search for extraterrestrial life, and how does their detection contribute to this endeavor? Mm -hmm. So similar to amino acids, lipid structures belong to the important group of organics related to life as we know it. And lipids, uh, for instance, are part of the cell structures and they are responsible for many processes in our, our life. So we really depend on that, let's say. And comparable to the amino acids uh, we investigated earlier as a first study using origin, uh, they can survive under certain environmental conditions billions of years which allows for their detection in case we had or still have life beyond Earth in our solar system. So we have, we have to look for, for, for traces that can survive this long time span. And that's why lipids are a part of their functionalities in, in our body. They're very important. Well, how does laser desorption ionization mass spectrometry, or LDIMS, overcome lipid detection challenges, make it suitable for space exploration missions? So after we measured the amino acids successfully with origin, that was our first paper, we said, why not measuring other biomolecules with the exact same measurement methodology we applied for amino acids and pHs? And, and somehow it worked out, so we not expected that. So by applying the same concept, we were able to detect the lipids we measured during this study you mentioned. So this is an extremely important message because we have one instrument which can tackle not only one group of organic, it's suitable for detection of amino acids, lipids, pHs. And uh, very recently, we did the same uh, uh, study on nucleobases. So we will publish that later, and I am hopefully at the end of the year. So we can do and handle that uh, with one instrument. And typically in space exploration mission, one instrument is tuned for one certain group of organics only, let's say amino acids, which does not allow to detect lipids in, in that case. So we overcome that specific limitation. Of course, we have to screen now carefully what kind of lipids classes we can measure and where we have difficulties. So we have to figure that out now in the upcoming time. But uh, uh, we wanted to say to the community, look, uh, we are not just limited to amino acids or pHs. We can also do lipids for very recently nuclear bases as well. Well, Andreas, can you explain the significance of the six representative lipids that you detected in the study in reference three and their relevance to potential life detection? Yes, and, and let me go back actually to the aim of, of this study we had. So the aim of this study was to demonstrate that we can measure after amino acids and pHs lipid structures applying the same exact measurement methodology. And this means the same number of laser pulses per position, number of positions investigated that analyzed and applied laser pulse energies. And it worked out as said before. These are fantastic news because it would allow us a more simplified space instrumentation if selected for a mission. For instance, we could integrate a pulsed laser system for the exact pulse energy range we need. We don't need a system that provides a wide range of pulse energies, let's say from microjoules to millijoules. 
that makes the design and concept of operation of such a space instrument much easier, let's say. But coming back, why we analyze these six, this six lipids? So the, the lipids analyzed in that study belong to the group of prenol and sterol lipids, uh, which are important molecules in, in our daily life, because as for instance, they are involved in, in cell membrane uh, flexibility and many regulatory and signal processes. So they're important to life, as we know it here from our daily life. Well, how does the L LTI-MS system's ability to simultaneously identify lipids, amino acids, and PAHs enhance its suitability for space exploration? Because, as briefly mentioned before, because we can provide one instrument for several classes of organics relevant to life, as you know, this is this fact reduced the instrument complexity and cost and associated risk in development and operation. And as a result, we can provide such a system in a, in a shorter time frame to space agencies. And all these factors are extremely important in space exploration missions. Now, coming back to why we can do the simultaneously uh, identification. And that goes back because of, of the molecular weight of the of these different classes. I mean, lipids are typically heavier than amino acids, and the pHs, you know, they are also at different locations, Dalton-wise, mass recharge-wise. And that's why, uh, luckily, they are very well separated in our mass spec, and that's very beneficial uh, for our study, but also for future missions. So following on that, Andreas, could you provide insights into how the current performance of the LDIMS system aligns with the requirements of the Enceladus Orbalander mission concept? So that's a very technical question. And here I have to play now with numbers, so I'm <laughs> very sorry for that. So the Enceladus Orbit the Lander mission concept, they outlined a limit of detection of 1 ten, uh, times 10 to minus 12 mole per microliter. So this is nothing. Uh, so we observed in our lipid study, which is referenced here in this podcast, a limit of detection of 100 femtomole per square millimeter. Why we have this strange number, by the way? So we are drop casting the analyte in a cavity uh, of, of a known dimensions. And that's why uh, we, we can provide how many moles we have per square millimeter. So, but coming back to 100 mole femtomole per square millimeter corresponds to a rough uh, limit of detection below se uh, 7 times 10 to minus 13 mole per microliter, which is already now uh, below the detection limit from the Orbilander mission. And that's coming from the 85 femtomoles per square millimeter LOD for filoquinone. And LODs for, for instance, alpha tocopherol and ethyl estradiol were at the level of 34 femtomoles per square millimeter and 0 0.2 femtomoles uh, per square millimeter, respectively. So, we are well below the requested limits. And that's why it's, it's for us, we are in a very good position uh, to say, hey, look, uh, we want to maybe fly our instruments for that mission because we have a very sensitive instrument. Those are impressive numbers, Andreas. Thanks. <laughs> well, in another article in the journal Aerospace, you published an, an article titled The Origin Space Instrument for Detecting Biosignatures and Habitability Indicators on a Venus Life Finder Mission. That's reference four in our podcast notes. What recent observations on Venus have prompted the need for a dedicated mission like a Venus Life Finder? Mm -hmm. So that goes actually back to the publication, maybe remember a few years back, uh, it's already maybe two or three years already, of detection of phosphine in the Venus atmosphere. I mean, that opened a big debate, uh, which is still ongoing. I mean, uh, there are pros and cons uh, about is it now a true detection or not, but it's an ongoing uh, debate at the moment, I have to say. 
however, there are other uh, parameters which we cannot clearly describe with our current understanding, uh, opening up the speculation of the presence of signatures of life in the Venus atmosphere above the very hot surface, which, I mean, I have to say that, which is at the level of 400 uh, centigrade and more than 90 bars. Uh, so this is a very unpleasant place at the surface, uh, but it's more pleasant than an altitude of about 60 kilometer, where we have, let's say, more milder conditions, meaning about one bar atmospheric pressure and about 60 degrees. So uh, we do have still an sulfuric atmosphere, which is not pleasant uh, to, you know, to, to survive over there which is an extreme for life as we know it, but I would say it's not impossible. We found on Earth already other, uh, uh, you know, life forms that survived uh, harsher conditions so or similar or comparable comp uh, uh, conditions. So uh, it might be a possibility that we have, you know, signatures of life in, in, in that specific cloud deck. So, but having traces of life in this cloud deck might explain some of the parameters we currently struggle with. So the presence of life there, you know, could explain why we do have such abundance of some of the elements um, we have from remote sensing. Well, Andreas, how does the origin instrument contribute to the search for biomolecules and habitability indicators in the Venus atmosphere? Could you give a little more information on that? Yes. So access to this cost versatility of our origin system, which makes it an ideal candidate for such an endeavor. I mean, from our point of view, of course, uh, a part of the versatility for detection of different classes of organics related to life. It's as well the very good detection sensitivity we have uh, of the system. So we can now go beyond, you know, limit of detection other systems have. And that makes it suitable for, for this Venus uh, application you just mentioned. And optim origin is optimized. It uh, has low weight, low power consumption, and an instrument design makes it suitable for a Venus Life Finder mission. Is that correct? Is that would you agree with that? Hmm. So I can give a bit more detailed information on that. So our current calculations points to a system with a weight about 13 kilogram only and the power consumption of about 50 to 60 watt. So that, that is not including a pumping system because remember we do have one bar atmosphere at which our instruments cannot work directly. So we would need to operate our mass analyzer at vacuum conditions at 10 to minus 6 millibar or better to avoid electric discharges at the ion optics and detector system. Uh, because typically we apply up to about 2.5 kilovolts at the systems. Uh, so we have to avoid damage to the system, so we need a pumping system. But together with the current measurement capabilities we have uh, regarding detection of organics, we are therefore a very suitable candidate for that missions because we check all the boxes. That's really impressive. Um, in what ways does Origin address questions about Venus's atmosphere and the potential for life? And what role do you see it playing in future Venus missions? Mm -hmm. So our main aim during such a mission would be the identification of traces of life. I and mean, that is clear by the detection of organics. I mean, and I said maybe a bit earlier, these results uh, would be backed up with other results from complementary instrumentation uh, on this specific mission. Uh, and that's clear. So to, at the end, to provide really a conclusive answer, because finding signatures of life in space exploration, we, we try, as I said, since the 1970s. So this is a harsh endeavor. So we need this collaborative work to say, yes, we found something. But it's clear that the positive detection of traces of life would have a significant impact on future missions, because it would be the first time that we found something uh, like 
found an indication of life. And I strongly believe that if you would be successful in that first mission, that would open up everything for follow-up missions for a deeper investigation of this specific habitat in this Venus atmosphere. Well, th this is very informative and very interesting. Do you have anything else to, to, to say to our listeners related to where the future of this type of research might go? Yes, please join that field of research. It's very interesting and every day is, is, is a new day and brings up other challenges. So, so please join us. <laughs> well, thank you, Andreas, for this very informative discussion on using atomic spectroscopy to explore the mysteries of space. I'm sure our audience has learned a lot about this topic, as I have. Your thoughts on the subject have been extremely thought-provoking. My thanks to all of our listeners and production and editing team that has worked to make this podcast possible. We invite our podcast audience to stay tuned for our next informative Analytically Speaking episode. And remember what Albert Einstein once said, the important thing is not to stop questioning. Curiosity has its own reason for existing. 